When we look around the world, we see hundreds of denominations and countless different ways that churches are organized and structured. Now, some of these are good, but most of them do not align with what we read in the New Testament. So today, I want to take some time to look at what the Bible says about church leadership. What's our role, how our local church should look, and even how our local church should connect with others around the world. So first... Let's look at ourselves. That means spiritual gifts. When you become a follower of Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and he empowers you to serve God and to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, I have an entire video on spiritual gifts, so if you'd, I encourage you to watch that to learn what your spiritual gift is and to hear about how these work together. But today, we're going to do just a very, very brief overview. Peter wrote, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now the list, uh, I'm just going to write it here and say them very quickly. Administration, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, hospitality, leadership, learning, mercy, missions, prophecy, serving, shepherding, tongues, teaching, and wisdom. So I want you to pray about which of those is yours. And again, if you don't know your spiritual gift, I encourage you to watch that other video. I'm going to leave it in the comment section so you can do this. But just one last time, every believer is expected to put their spiritual gifts into practice to benefit each other and to reach the lost world. We all have that gifting and that responsibility. Now, some of us are called to take that gifting to the next level, and that's what we call offices. So these these offices are given to people who are gifted and called to make this role their vocation. So they should be fully or partially supported by the church. So we all have our role to fulfill. But most of us are going to have a separate job to earn our money. But the, the church is called to come together to support some people as full-time staff in these offices so that they can devote themselves fully to ministering to God. Now, when we look at this list, uh, the primary scripture associated with these offices is Ephesians 4.11, which mentions in order apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now we're going to look at all of those, but also many churches have staff positions for deacons, prayer, and worship. So even though those aren't mentioned as offices in scripture, many churches today have staff positions for these. So let's go ahead and look at these in order. The first is apostles, and this means someone who is sent out. This can be as a messenger, as a missionary, and maybe even as more than just that. Now, when it comes to this, they are supported by their local congregation, but their main ministry is outside the church. They're sent from their local church to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, also, when they're back in their local church, they are tasked to ignite a passion within their local congregation to fulfill the Great Commission. So when they're home, they're also encouraged to, to share what God is doing around the world and also to encourage everyone to take part in the Great Commission. Now, when it comes to apostles, it's very important that we know the distinction between lowercase a apostles and capital A apostles. They're two very different things. When it comes to capital apostles, there are qualifications mentioned in scripture, which include being personally commissioned by Jesus, along with eyewitnessing him after the resurrection. And also Ephesians 2.20 says that the apostles built, again, past tense, 
built the foundation of the church. So many throughout church history have been sent as missionaries, but there has not been a true capital A apostle since the first century. Let's look at another office which is connected to that, and that's prophet. So when it comes to a prophet, that's someone who is an interpreter or proclaimer of divine truth. It's someone who speaks for God, whose authority is not their own, but they claim to speak on behalf of God. Now, prophet is one of the most well-established and understood roles in the Old Testament, but the role of a prophet in the New Testament is not clearly specified. So there's a bit of room for interpretation when it comes to this, but we need to know that they're connected to the apostles as having, again, past tense, built the foundation of the church. So many people view that these roles no longer exist, but also uh, as the Old Testament prophets spoke for God and even wrote the Old Testament, many people believe that those who wrote the New Testament, the Gospels, the letters, Acts, that those should be viewed as the New Testament prophets. Now, just a word of warning, we need to be extra careful if someone calls themselves apostles or prophets. Because those are used as past tense, as only in the first century. So again, we need to be really careful about this. If someone calls themselves this, that they are speaking things which are according to scripture. Because some people will call themselves apostles or prophets and then tell you that their authority is the same as Paul, as those who wrote the New Testament. So we need to be really discerning when it comes to these messages. Now, I myself consider myself an apostle lowercase because I get sent to do mission work. And sometimes I'm given a word of prophecy, whether that's sharing a Bible verse or an encouragement or asking someone to turn away from sin, where I feel God is speaking through me. But again, we need to be extra careful if someone calls themselves an, a, a capital apostle or prophet. So... Now let's move on to the other ones mentioned in Ephesians. So there's evangelist. So this is someone who is a bringer of good news, someone who shares the life-changing message of Jesus Christ that we are saved by grace through faith because of his sacrifice on the cross when we turn from sin and trust and follow him. So along with sharing the gospel, Many view the office of evangelist as the one who organizes and oversees and manages the outreach program of the local church. So also, uh, evangelists operate through parachurch organizations to travel and share the gospel. So there are a couple unique roles for the evangelist. One is managing and overseeing the outreach, and the other is them personally sharing the gospel. So some are gifted to do both, and some are given just one or the other, but those are both the office of the evangelist. So next, we're going to look at the most controversial and most complicated office in the church, and that's the pastor, overseer, elder, teacher, and shepherd. Now, some churches uh, separate these into distinct roles and separate them, but when we look at scripture, all five of these terms are used interchangeably. So today, we're going to look at them all as one office, and we're going to just use the first letter and call them poets. Now, please forgive me 
if I call this a pastor, because that's what the group I grew up with called them. But we're going to try to call them poets. Now, again, uh, specifically, we see that their qualifications are listed in Timothy and Titus. Now, I'm not going to look through all of those, but they include just basic characteristics of a mature believer. Where anyone is a mature believer, they will have those Along with, they said they manage their household well, so it's not just them, but even their family must really follow God. And this also, the one specific qualification is that they must have the ability to teach. So when it comes to poets, they lead through example, they live out the faith and lead by example, and also by word through teaching. So as we look a little bit further, let's look at each of these because um, there are some distinctions and some unique attributes, even though this is one office. So pastor and shepherd is the same Greek word. So we're going to look at those together. And that's someone that they guide and protect the flock of God, just like a shepherd protects the sheep. So that means you, you lead them in the right direction with your own action you teach them the truth, and also it means you, you, you protect them from false doctrine or any other challenge from the outside. An overseer is someone who has skills with administration over details and people. So they handle the details of the church, whether that's finances, uh, even organizing things, legal aspects, and they also manage people. So that's especially managing the staff of the church. That's what an overseer can do. And also an elder, as you would hear from the name, they, they're older, so they have wisdom and experience and can share that with others. And then a teacher is someone who clearly explains scripture along with how that scripture can apply to their life. So when it comes to these poets, when we look at the New Testament, there every every single church that is mentioned has a group of poets leading that church. You can read the list there. Every church mentioned in scripture has a group leading them, not just one. There is no New Testament church with only one primary leader. So if you're going to base it on scripture, the modern church model of having one gifted speaker as the primary leader of a congregation is unbiblical. It's so easy for one person to be led astray, especially if that person is not rooted and grounded and a truly mature believer. It's so easy for even a charismatic gifted speaker to be led astray and for them to then lead the entire uh, church astray. So now, when it comes to poets, we also need to know that, it sh uh, that the qualifications to become one include specifically masculine terms, such as husband. So many churches only allow men to become poets. However, there appear to be women in New Testament leadership roles, uh, which, which include at least some aspects of this office. So I know this is a very controversial issue, but and I hope to make a video about women's roles in ministry at some point in the near future. But today, you just need to know that some people uh, leave these roles only for men while some make it available to everyone. So while we're talking about things that are controversial, the office of priest is never, not once, ever given in the New Testament. So priest is, again, one of the most established roles in the Old Testament, where the priest is the intermediary between God and man. So the priest would be the one who offers sacrifices, sometimes speaks to God, 
So they're the ones who go between God and man. But we read in Hebrews 8 that Jesus is now our great high priest. And so when we apply this to the New Testament church, if Jesus is within us, there is no need for any human mediator between us and the Father. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross completely fulfilled everything that we see in the Old Testament, and he is within us. He is our mediator between us and the Father. So there is no need for a New Testament priest. And even on top of that, Jesus himself said, call no man on earth your father, for you have one father who is in heaven. So any church that calls people father or uses priests is not doing something according to the New Testament. They're doing something else. Now, the next role that's mentioned in, in, in scripture is the office of deacon. So these are servants. These They serve however is needed so that the poets can focus on ministering the word of God. Now, this goes all the way back to, to Acts chapter 6 where there were widows who needed ministry and to be fed. And so the apostles appointed uh, these deacons to serve them and so that they can focus on their thing. So deacons do whatever it takes. This includes managing church grounds, maintaining and managing equipment, cleaning the church, childcare, basically anything that doesn't include teaching should be handled by people called deacons. Now, the qualifications for deacons are mentioned in 1 Timothy, and they're very similar to the qualifications for elder, except that deacons are not required to teach. That's the only real difference between deacons and poets. Poets teach the word of God. Deacons just serve without teaching. Now, this office is called support staff in some churches even today. So even if you see support staff, that really is more of a New Testament style deacon. So now let's look at just a few other roles. So this is prayer and worship. That's two unique offices. So these can be done by, by the poets, whether you call them a worship pastor, music minister, prayer minister, whatever else, or it can be done by a separate office, someone who is, is, is not in the poets, or even volunteers. Again, depending on the size of the church, some of these roles can be done by volunteers, people who have other jobs, and then just help with those roles on Sunday. So, so far, we've looked at ourselves and how our spiritual gifts or help us to serve the church and to serve others. And then we've looked at the next level, how some people are called to put those spiritual gifts into practice on a more full-time basis. But now let's go even further and look at how churches should be structured to, to, to interact even within each other. Connections between churches. So first, why should we connect? What are the benefits of this? So first is that we can have uniformity of beliefs. If we're in the same group, then we can establish what we believe and make sure that every group is believing and teaching the same things. We also can have unity of purpose. We can work together to serve God around the world. Maybe one church can't support a missionary or an evangelist to go to some foreign country, but maybe three, four, five churches come together, then they can send them. Also for ordination, for someone to become a full-time minister, if you know that they're ordained within your group, then you can travel within that group and you know what to expect and what to gift, what to get. Even with discipline, 
So if a pastor is teaching things that are not according to scripture, how do you discipline them? Well, if you're in a group, then that group can come together against them. But if one pastor in an independent church goes off, how can you, how can you, um, how can you discipline them properly? And also you can help struggling congregations. So let's just say that one church has a fire and they need help, uh, to, to, to rebuild. If they're in a group, then that entire group can help them. So they're not on their own. So it's important to note that when it comes to churches connecting to each other, that the Bible doesn't specify how this can be done. So there is room for freedom and diversity within these. That doesn't, so what we're about to talk about isn't specifically mandated in scripture. So there are different views on this. We're going to look at four. The first is complete autonomy, where each individual congregation is completely free to do whatever they want. They, they minister themselves, and they're, they're, just, they're, they're not connected to any other group. Now, this is freedom is a good thing until it's abused. So once again, if there's a charismatic leader that's not teaching biblical truth, but lots of people are following them, how do we stop that if they're not connected to any other group? So sometimes it's good to be connected at least some, even for discipline. Uh, this type of group is also called congregationalism, again, because each individual congregation is completely free and autonomous. The second type of church connection is free associations. So this is where individual churches voluntarily connect with other like-minded churches. So they see other churches in their area and they connect with them voluntarily. This is usually done through a creed or a statement of faith or belief, where they list these are the 5, 10, 20 most important aspects of our faith. So if you're going to join our group, then you need to sign that you're going to adhere to these certain beliefs. And then they work together for God's purposes. Another interesting thing with this is that we need to understand the ecumenical movement or ecumenism. This means unity across denominations. So when we look back at church history, lots of groups have split but there's a movement now to get those groups to come back together for fellowship so that we can all work together for the common good. Now, the third type of uh, church connection is Episcopal. Now, this goes to the Greek word episkopos, which uh, when we read Eph Ephesians, this is the exact same word that was an overseer, part of the poets. This is also where we get the word bishop. So when it comes to bishops, this means that it's one person, one bishop oversees a group of churches. And then the group of bishops is overseen by archbishops and specifically within the Catholic church, archbishops are overseen by cardinals and the cardinal is the, is overseen by the Pope. And then, you know, God of course is the head of the entire church. So again, I'm not saying this is good, but it's not mentioned. Uh, it's neither confirmed nor denied in scripture. That's just the way the Catholic church and other Episcopal groups do it. And the, the one that's similar but a bit unique is called Presbyterian. This is um, rather than an individual being a bishop over other things, uh, it means that there are elders or groups over. Now, this goes back again to the same word we see in Ephesians, um, presbyteros, which means elder. So again, people say uh, within that group of poets, there are elders and overseers. So let's make, if those are who should be overseeing our church, then let's make that over the group of churches and then another group over them as well. So as opposed uh, to the previous one, this is where a group 
of leaders oversees the churches and then another group oversees them. So rather than an individual, it's groups. So now we need to note that within Episcopal and Presbyterian denominations, there is a, a variance in the level of autonomy for each congregation. So some operate almost more like an association where the individual congregation does have a lot of freedom, but some are much more strict where all the things, even the budget, even who is the, the leader of that church, where it's all determined from the top down and very strict. I think that's probably not good. But again, the Bible doesn't specify too much. And within those traditions, there is variance. So again, neither of those four is, is explicitly condemned or affirmed within scripture. So there is freedom for our group. So let's look at what we can take away from this. So first, every believer is expected to put their spiritual gifts into practice to benefit each other and to reach the lost world. We all have responsibility when it comes to church leadership. Next, some are called to positions in churches called offices, where rather than having another job and then serving God on the side, they're called to be to, for their entire job, for their profession to be serving God in the offices we mentioned. And finally, leadership should be balanced so that one person or group does not have too much power. That's true within each individual church, and it's true even within churches connecting with each other. I thank you so much for listening. I pray that this video was a blessing for you. If you have any questions or comments, please let me know. Write a message. Uh, let me know what you think. And if you'd like to hear more about how to put your faith into practice, I hope you'll look at our other videos and like, subscribe, and follow this page. God bless.